I remember one of the main feelings that I had when I was a new Christian, apart from the excitement and uh, the positive things, was a sense of vulnerability. I felt so prone to sin that I, I just couldn't imagine myself persevering as a Christian all of my life. There were so many years ahead of me, so many traps to fall into. I couldn't imagine myself not falling into some gross sin and even if I kept my faith, basically uh, bankrupting my, um, um, my integrity. I particularly felt vulnerable sexually. I couldn't imagine being able to resist if some uh, attractive young woman threw herself at me and I never did work out whether it was God's faithfulness or just my intrinsic unattractiveness that meant it never happened. But I do thank God that it never happened. Most young men, I think, in particular, don't find it hard to relate to Joseph in Genesis 39. Here is a young man who meets difficult sexual temptation and he has lots of reasons to yield, to be honest. So far in his life he's had a pretty raw deal. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He's living as a refugee now in a foreign land, the land of Egypt. Um, He... um, um, has no real status in that uh, land yet. And he's unmarried and in the prime of life. Why shouldn't he be allowed a bit of fun? If it remains a secret, nobody will get help, uh, hurt. This is just a bit of pleasure between two consenting adults. But it's not that. And Joseph knows it's not that. And in this story, Joseph is going to successfully resist this temptation, this honey trap, as people might call it these days. Before we uh, look at how he does that, let me, let me just um, make a few comments to set the scene for us in our day. First of all, let me, let me say, that this passage, of course, has obvious applicability to men, But women are not immune. Not immune from sexual temptation and uh, um, both men and women are prone to other lusts as well. Any natural appetite that uh, we have as human beings that comes to rule us, that comes to take an inappropriately prominent place in our lives that we don't have control over whether that's a desire for food or power or approval or pretty clothes or revenge or a thousand other things, all of those desires, when they get out of control, the Bible calls lusts. So in many ways we could um, apply uh, our own particular trial and challenge to Joseph to this Joseph story, whatever that is. Most of the time, though, this morning, we are going to be um, looking at this particularly prominent and difficult lust 
that so many human beings, especially men, struggle with. The lust of sexual immorality. Let me say as well, just to set the scene, um, obviously, Joseph's temptation here to commit adultery with another man's wife is wrong. Some people would say, though, that purely, that, 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 that surely consenting sex between adults who are not married and therefore free to form a, a union is acceptable. But, but I want to say to you, the Bible is absolutely clear that sex is for lifelong relationships. In the Old Testament, all sex outside of marriage was forbidden. And the New Testament continues that teaching. And the reason is clearly stated in several places in Scripture. Sex unites us with another person in a very deep way. The Bible says the two become one. Sex is not just a biological process. It is, it is, it is psychological. It has spiritual dimensions to, to it too. And if it is indulged in without a clear commitment on both parties to a lifelong bond, in the end it will damage both of those parties. One or both of them is abusing. One or both of them is being abused. And 25 years of observing Christians and non-Christians, of reading numerous pieces of research, has only strengthened my sense of certainty that the Bible is absolutely right in that. It is not good enough to say, surely if we love each other we can have sex. The question for unmarried people is, are we both solidly committed to one another for life? Marriage ceremonies are not specifically stipulated in, in, uh, in the Bible, but the wisdom of every culture in every age has been that some sort of public ceremony of that, of that lifelong commitment is a massively useful thing to make sure that both partners are clear about their commitment, to make sure that nobody gets abused. If you've lived any, any time in the Western world, you will know how often people end up being abused or abusing because there was not that clear sense of obligation. Sex is for lifelong relationship. I think it's probably the biggest social cost that our society is facing at the moment. The propaganda is massive and sustained against it. But people are being duped. People are being hurt. Children are being damaged. Because we are not adhering to that simple, basic, fundamental truth that is built deep into us as human beings. So Joseph's struggle for sexual purity, even though in his case it's clearly um, against adultery itself, 
Joseph's struggle for sexual purity must be our struggle if we want to follow Christ. Back to Joseph then. We need to uh, notice, first of all, to uh, uh, start to build a picture of his life, we need to notice his rise in this story. He is a different man in Genesis 39 from that callow young man who lied and boasted in Genesis 37 that we saw last week. And we have to ask the question, what what has changed him? Undoubtedly, adversity has changed him. He has lost in um, in uh, these two chapters his high status, he lives in a foreign country, his ta- family is torn apart and in circumstances like that you either descend into bitterness, recrimination and self-pity or you mature. Make no mistake about it, descent into bitterness and worse is entirely possible for us as we meet difficulties in our life. I could tell you, for instance, about the former um, professor and UN consultants who I last met drunk and homeless on the Cowley Road. And I could tell you a thousand and one other stories, less dramatic, how people who were very promising in their youth, nevertheless, as they have met adversity after adversity, have not grown they've shrunk into bitterness and mediocrity and cynicism. Christians, be aware, it is possible for you not to mature, but adversity can mature you. And it has done for Joseph. Another factor which our author um, wants to make absolutely clear is repeated, uh, told us repeatedly in this text that has helped Joseph mature. We see it first in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Back in chapter 37, you remember? God didn't get a mention. But now he appears. He is with Joseph. He is, he is not only transforming Joseph's character as, uh, as, as he faces the adversities that have come his way, he is also pouring out his blessing on Joseph in this apparently God-forsaken place. The Lord was with Joseph, he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And the quality of Joseph's character that God has produced and the fruitfulness of his work that God has produced is noticed by those around, verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted it to his care, to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household uh, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Very interesting, our author repeatedly says that Potiphar noticed that it was the Lord who prospered him. Did you see that? Not, not just God. This is the personal name of the God of Israel. Yahweh, the Lord. It's like someone um, 
someone saying to us, I see that your Jesus makes a difference in your life. We must just notice the, the, the dignity of ordinary daily work that is implied as well in this wonderful picture of Joseph. It's as he goes about his daily tasks, as he works well, that both Potiphar sees a difference in him and also God directly blesses him. We can legitimately expect that as we live out our daily lives at home, at work, in the family, amongst our friends. That people will notice that we will gain more responsibility because of our integrity. Joseph rises then in his world because God is with him. God is transforming him. God is blessing him. Look at the blessing that he gives. Verse um, 6. So Potiphar left in Joseph's care everything that he had with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. In our church vision statement, we have stated that we believe God has brought us together to display the glory of Jesus, amongst other ways, through deeds. We can expect, it is part of our aim, that actually the quality of our lives will display the glory of Jesus, just as the quality of Joseph's life showed Potiphar it was the Lord who had blessed him. But with that blessing and that growth that God has given to Joseph comes a test. That's what we must uh, spend uh, most of our time looking at. This test, this challenge to his integrity and it is sexual. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. Joseph was well built and handsome, verse 6. His mother is described as that as well. Interestingly, they're the only two characters in the Bible who are. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. She wastes no words because she's a woman who's used to people obeying her. But the brevity of that simple command, come to bed with me, I think also highlights the way in which sexual temptation often comes, especially to men. It just catches us by surprise. We're just going about our normal work and it just, just, just hits us like an avalanche. Come to bed with me. And we live in a, in a culture which is more sex-saturated sex than perhaps any in history and it is just impossible to avoid Sexual imagery, provocative references, things that just hit us unexpectedly. And that can be like a switch for men. How do you deal with it? 
Well, Joseph is a brilliant example. He parodies this word in the Hebrews, a two-word speech of his mistress and his temptress with a um, much longer speech in reply. Verse 8, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In other words, he's, he's piling reason after reason after reason on as to why he should not do this. He doesn't just follow his groin or his reflex. He applies truth carefully to his situation. And that moment he wins the battle. But as is so often the case, it comes back again. There is a war of attrition. Verse 10. She spoke to Joseph day after day. And he has to not only speak the truth to himself and to her, he has to make sure he does something about it as well. He refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Now, Joseph's strategy is so important. I, 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 want, to, um, I want to use a, um, an acronym that uh, John Piper, who some of you have heard of, um, uh, a pastor in the States, often uh, uses to help his people to understand what Joseph does here and what we need to do in order to avoid being tripped up by lust. Nice Christian sounding word, anthem. Let me tell you what it means. A is for avoid. Do not go to the places that you are likely to be sexually aroused. Avoid overly sexual films. Don't go picking up that magazine. Avoid that person who always gives you a frisson of illicit pleasure when you talk to them. If your lust is not sexual, you, you need to think what, what, uh, what your avoidance strategy is. Joseph refused even to be with her. Now, we can't make blanket rules. I can't make a rule for you. In the New Testament, the Pharisees were the people who had derived all the perfect rules to help people to avoid sin. And they failed because sin creeps in under the door. Sin, sin uh, um, has different ways in for different people. You must be honest with yourself. What are the situations and the circumstances that I need to avoid? And then put it into practice. Secondly, uh, um, second word is say no. We cannot entirely avoid temptation. 
We cannot get ourselves into a position where, where, where the possibility never enters our minds. But we can say no quickly. John Piper suggests we have about five seconds. Other people who write to, uh, suggest we have about ten seconds between the, uh, the idea coming into our mind and us deciding to linger on it and meditate on it and nurture it. If we miss that, it is much, much more difficult to root out. Say no quickly. Don't linger on that image. Men, don't walk across the room to talk to that woman who has caught your eye. Wives, don't say that intimate thing to that other man. Don't toy with that fantasy. Say no and say it quickly. Strike fast and strike hard. As uh, Peter uh, Lever mentioned in his prayer, resist the devil and he will flee from you, assures James. Say no. And then, Turn your mind to Christ. Tell yourself the truth about the good things that Christ has uh, given you. When you read the New Testament, you find that um, lusts are often described as deceitful desires. They deceive us. They, they promise much and they deliver little. They are they are, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, the passions of your former ignorance. It is ignorance. It is not bothering to tell ourselves the truth that gives these false pleasures their root. Because they're nasty little lies dwell in our hearts. So we need to bathe our minds in the truth. That is, that, that's, what, that's what Joseph is doing, isn't it? As he, as he recounts all the good ways that God has blessed him and he makes it plain at the end that it is God who has done this. How could I do such a thing and sin against God, he says. God has given me lots of wonderful things, he's saying to Potiphar. Why should I throw it away on having sex with you? God has given you lots of wonderful things. He's given you good things now. He has given you an extended family of brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you can enjoy real, proper relationships. He has given you mothers and fathers in the Lord. He's given you children in the Lord. If your worry is being childless. He has given you um, a relationship with himself. He has given you forgiveness. He has given you his eternal protection. He has given you certain glorification. He has given you the promise of res resurrection life. He has given you the certainty that nothing in all creation... Um, need separate you from God's love. 
Turn your mind to Him. Tell yourself and anyone else who needs to know that actually it's better to serve God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then uh, H. Hold on. Actually, I'm going to get you a hold on in the sermon now and say I can see Lissy at least um, desperately suffering in the heat. Can anyone open some windows for us? Because I'm suffering. Avoid the places where you will be tempted. Say no quickly and hard to yourself. Turn your mind to Christ and remind yourself of all the good things that he he has given you and then hold on. You see, isn't it fascinating? He, He won a little temporary victory and managed to get away from Potiphar's wife the first time but it came back, as it does, and back and back And he needed to do it again and again and again. And we don't need to doubt that the the, the strategy became more and more sophisticated in trying to undermine his integrity. The Bible makes it absolutely plain that we need to be repeatedly dealing with these things. We need to wrestle with them long term. We need to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh repeatedly, again and again. We need to to, uh, not just think of Christ sporadically, but we need to consider Christ. We need to fix our eyes on Christ. We need to meditate on God's wonders and decrees and unfailing love. There There is a sense of sustained action about it. Hold on, says Scripture, enjoy the superior pleasure of knowing God, of being saved by God. Joseph doesn't just say, say uh, um, pick up a list of things that, reasons why he knows he really ought not to have sex with her, does he? He doesn't say it's my duty to do this, so much as he says, actually, this life of integrity that God has given me has given me great rewards. Yes, there may be, it may be tough sometimes actually maintaining my sexual continence, but frankly, God has done pretty well by me and I'm enjoying it, Mrs Potiphar. Why should I throw it away? Joseph doesn't just know what he ought to do. He loves being obedient to God. It has brought him so much. Psalm 19 puts it in this way. He said that, uh, that uh, Psalm 19 says that the commands of God are not just a duty, it says they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. In keeping them there is great reward. And more than that, he knew that in addition to the immediate rewards that he was enjoying, 
as he served God. That he had the deepest reward of knowing God. Joseph is actually going to have to endure the loss of many of the things that he presently enjoys. But he knows anyway that the joy of peace with God far outweighs any light and momentary pleasure he may have. So many of us are prone to sin not because we've not got enough avoidance strategies. Apostle Paul says at one point, actually, if we uh, um, uh, tried to maintain purity simply by avoiding anything that would lead us astray, we'd have to leave the world. Isn't that true? It is because we don't savour the joy of knowing God. One of the reasons why we say again loud and clear in Magdalen Road, we believe God has brought us together to delight in him because that is the key to our personal transformation. Joseph loves God more than anything else. Joseph has found superior pleasure in knowing God more than anything else. And so as he talks to himself, as he holds on, he knows that he's holding on for joy. And finally, move. Move into something more useful. Move away from the place of temptation into another productive activity. Idleness breeds sin. Get up and do something. Clean a room, ring a friend, get back to work. Christ died, says uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, to make us zealous for good deeds. Joseph doesn't sit around and argue the toss with Potiphar's wife. He actually gets out and gets on with his work. Anthem. Very important, very valuable. Little acronym to help you to think through what do I need as I struggle in this way? Avoid, say no, turn your mind to Christ, hang on, enjoy God and move into something else. For you, sexual sin may not be your big challenge, but I have to say, for many, many people, especially men, it is. And some fail it. I could, uh, I remember vividly a missionary and uh, elder in a church that I knew who uh, failed the test disastrously nearly 20 years ago and ran off left his wife and ran off with another woman. Uh, He actually didn't completely lose his faith. But I met a relative of his a little while ago and I asked how he was doing and the relative said to me, he's a shadow of his former self. My experience... um, Sexual failure has caused more damage to God's people in this country than 
than, than anything else, I think. And particularly I notice that it is the, often the Achilles heel of vigorous, highly motivated, leading people. I think, I think something about the gift and the capacity to lead and to pioneer and to take risks for God very easily flips into a capacity for gross sexual sin. Be warned. It can bring us down. But I tell you, it can grow us. Joseph, already before he meets Potiphar's wife, is a man of uh, uh, growing stature, but he grows through this incident. And I could tell you stories of victory after victory after victory amongst people whom I know. Sometimes at great cost, but those victories have made those those people into oak trees in the forest. They are, they are great towers, like mountains of integrity as they do battle with that. It's not, and it's not that they were never tempted. Indeed, frankly, I have come to believe that people only really grow to great stature in the kingdom of God if they have had to wrestle really hard with something. And quite often, it's sexual temptation. Now, over the years, I've had the privilege of, of counselling and helping significant numbers of fine Christian men as they have uh, struggled with sexual temptation in this church a bit and actually um, often beyond this church. And I've seen some of those men, the cost that it is to them, the difficulty that it is to them, the challenge it is to them. I have been with them as they've lost some skirmishes in the battle, but overall I have seen them win great victories. And like Joseph, I have seen them grow. There, there, are, there are leaders in God's church in this, in this country who uh, um, suffer partly because people think they're never tempted to sin. When they know that they've only actually achieved the, the stature that they have today as believers because it's been a great and violent struggle for them. God grows people through such tests. They are not just trials. They are opportunities for growth. And God can do it with you too. God can turn that difficulty that you have, that trial that you have, that struggle that you have, He can turn it into something that makes you ten times the person you would have been otherwise. (coughs) 
God turns boys into men through tests like this. But then Joseph has to face something that uh, sometimes for us is very, very real too. (coughs) After the test, which was hard enough in itself, comes a cost. We just haven't got time to look at the story, rich though it is, but you know it. Potiphar's wife makes a dramatic bid for him. Joseph runs, she falsely accuses him of attempted rape and he finds himself in jail. And in the short term, often, people find that they face even more trial and difficulty as a result of their integrity. And sometimes that, that trial is other people's personal hostility to them. Peter explains in 1 Peter 4 that some persecution for Christians comes because, as he puts it, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipa- dissipation and they heap abuse on you. For some people it's just the cost of giving up on a potential marriage partner. I have talked to numbers of women who have walked away from a relationship because they knew it wasn't right before God. And the cost can be very high. And sometimes it may just be the personal, emotional cost as we wrestle with temptation, knowing that it would be easier in the short term to yield but we want to know God. And at such times we must remind ourselves God's love is better than life. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. We are called to fix our eyes in Jesus who for the joy set before him scorned even the cross. If we do not love God more than anything else in this world, we will not pass the test. We may avoid a bit. We may say no sometimes. But we will not successfully become men and women of stature before God. See, Joseph lost everything. Again, except God. There it is again. Verse 21. The Lord was with him. There's more to this story yet. Here's a man who has faced a great test and passed it though he lost everything. Here's a man whom God can use. And then there's you. Perhaps you've failed a number of times. It's not rare. God allows retakes. If you want to grow, And that test and trial in your life has been put there 
in order for you to grow. Don't waste it.